Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bian with Warm Welcome, where every Wednesday we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants to share their stories, struggles, and success. Today we're chatting with Sarah Lee, co-owner of Kimbap Lab, located in Whole Foods, Williamsburg, and Brooklyn. Kimbap Lab notably features a gluten-free menu with kimbap as its star attraction. Kimbap is a quintessential picnic item, a classic afternoon snack or meal on the go in Korea. Sarah has decided to take this comfort food to a modern adaptation using the freshest available ingredients and an array of complimentary dipping sauces. Sarah grew up in Chicago her culinary roots run deep in the family. Her family ran one of the first sanggyutang, or chicken soup, specialty restaurants in Chicago. She spent a stint in the design industry, but soon found her calling in the food business. Her experiences range from running her own catering company to managing restaurants to marketing one of the most in-demand Korean celebrity chefs at the time. She found herself soon working in Korea Despite her fluency in Korean, there were many cultural differences when it came to the workplace and the dynamics within a company structure. Her struggles led to a friendship with Wonna Lee, who is her business partner in Kimbap Lab, and together they dreamt up the concept and idea to bring Kimbap stateside to New York City. In today's episode, I had a chance to chat with Sarah about her culinary upbringing, her early struggles in opening a restaurant whilst expecting her firstborn to how she is navigating the new normal. To begin, we take you back to Chicago, where Sarah grew up with a unique family food background. My family's food background, my mother, uh, she had the first Korean samgyetang restaurant in Chicago in the 80s. My parents had a ginseng farm in the 80s and 90s in Wisconsin. So because of the farm, they, they had the restaurant. It wasn't the restaurant first, it was the farm first. And my grandfather kind of brought that, um, that farm and he had my parents involved and then they were running it and they had the restaurant. So, and kind of prior to that, my great-grandmother actually, um, so my maternal side, uh, my family's from North Korea and she had the first North Korean uh, naengmyeon restaurant in Pyongyang, pre-19, like, 16 or 1915. So there were like generations of food chefs and just like through just throughout different generations on my mother's side. And I grew up, you know, eating my mother's food, definitely took it for granted, didn't really realize how amazing it was until, you know, I left home. But yeah, I grew up mainly eating at home. I would have to say that People in Chicago, at least the Koreans in Chicago, they did not seem very adventurous in trying different Korean foods or really um, dining out as often. It's very different from, I think, um, New York and California, uh, the, the Korean community. So we would go out and every time we would eat at a Korean restaurant, my mom would be like, oh, but my chica is better or they don't make this the right way. And it's just annoying. But also she's right. You know, it's like, oh, it's not as good. And then it just rubbed us like, okay, this is, that's the way we started thinking. You spent quite some time working in Seoul. Could you talk to me a little bit about this time and what was the culture and maybe even the working dynamic like 
in a country like Korea? I mean, I'm sure it was quite an adjustment for you. In 2006, I, I went to Korea for a few months to uh, stage at um, a Japanese restaurant at the Seoul Plaza Hotel. It was really random. I don't really know how I was able to, to get in. And I spent two months cutting fruit, which was great. <laughs> it really um, helped me understand the hierarchy, especially if you work for large companies. And I think Korea, they have like the whole the hoching system and the, the seniority and uh, um, woman in food is a whole different battle. And so that gave me an idea. And then when I had the opportunity to go in 2010, I didn't work in the kitchen. It was mainly uh, front of the house, but I honestly didn't really know what to expect because it's hard to just prepare. First of all, there's just years have passed from my previous uh, food experience in Korea. And then I don't know if people may know this. And I, I joke around with uh, a lot of my friends in Seoul at that time is that I never spoke to the chef in Korean. He is a Korean native who is fluent in English and lived abroad for many years. And, you know, um, and from the time I met him and, you know, until the, the, the year that I've worked for him, like throughout the entire time, we only spoke to English. We only spoke in English. And that was like, not just when him and I were alone doing meetings, but this was in front of the entire staff, in front of the customers. It was, it was interesting. I was like, and I, I realized I didn't know how to speak to him in Korean, but I'm fluent in Korean. Like I'm fluent in Korean. I would speak to the staff in Korean. I would, you know, <laughs> but I think um, with, because of that, I think that it was a little difficult transitioning with uh, working with Korean staff. And I say that because, you know, there's certain uh, or different expectations that people have in, in any company you work, uh, I guess, in Korea. And, you know, a lot of the, the staff thought, okay, who is this person who she looks Korean, she speaks Korean, but she's, you know, kind of under the expat staff. We had some expat chefs from Australia, from Hong Kong. And so, you know, we'd all speak in English. And they were confused because they didn't know how to address me. And so from day one, like even though I was one of the managers, I said, hey, just call me Sarah. And I don't know if that was a mistake because <laughs> then they all just started calling me Sarah, became super casual, like things that I said wasn't that important because they thought I was just chill. And that kind of created some, some weird... <laughs> moments and tension over time uh, that, you know, it's like, it's a learning experience. I mean, I really liked working with everyone there. Uh, but I think that, unfortunately, when you're working for like a large um, you know, company or a restaurant group, and there's a lot of people, people involved, and it's not just the chefs, you have to really follow their culture. You have to kind of um, just learn to adapt. And I think that was the hardest part because I, I didn't know how to adapt uh, in the beginning and it, it took some time. So from Chicago to Seoul to now New York, how'd you end up here in New York City? The last company that I worked for in Seoul was uh, this Japanese dessert company uh, called Kyotofu. They're no longer around. It's uh, started in New York and they had a restaurant in, in Seoul. And so I was 
working for them in Seoul. And after I left, I honestly, I just happened to visit them in Hell's Kitchen. And yeah, and I was like, hey, you know, like, you know, I used to work at this old branch and um, so great to meet you. And, and I didn't even ask if there were any job opportunities. It was, I was literally just visiting New York for a week. And it's like, this is great. I love your food. I hope, you know, you guys do well. And somehow uh, there was an opportunity that came up and I'm, and that's how I came to New York. It was, you know, from Kyoto Seoul, and then I came to New York <laughs> uh, for um, a restaurant here. And that actually uh, transitioned me to Whole Foods in, in kind of inadvertently because I, the main uh, account that I worked with for Kyoto was Whole Foods. And so Kyoto New York transitioned their entire bakery line to gluten-free right around the time I moved here. And I was like, what's gluten-free? Like what's going on? You know, I was in Korea. <laughs> like, you know, I don't really know the trends. Like, what is this? And why are you doing this? And does it taste better? And, you know, and at that time, like it was a big thing in New York, a lot of uh, customers or people, you know, just um, finding out they have celiac disease or they have gluten um, allergies or, different dietary restrictions. And so Kyosho changed their entire menu uh, to be gluten-free. And we brought Kyosho to the Whole Foods Bakery line. And as a sales director at that time, I drove to at least 26 Whole Foods locations in the East Coast uh, from... Rhode Island, Princeton, Connecticut, all Manhattan, all New Jersey, Long Island, uh, Whole Foods, bringing samples, meeting with the team leaders, passing out business cards, like on calls and emails every day. And we got in and I met some, you know, amazing people in the corporate office. And, you know, until this day, uh, one uh, person that I, I really look up to, Ellie Truesdell, uh, she was um, the former global director of innovation at Whole Foods. Now she's a partner at Almanac Insights and she's doing a lot of amazing things. So she was like our main contact. And even after I left Kyoto and there was like a few years transition between that job and, and Kimbap Lab, I kept in touch with her. And, um, and I told her, I am going to bring gluten-free Korean food to, to Whole Foods. And I told her that like years ago and no one's doing it. And um, I hope that I can connect with you again one day to, to bring this. <laughs> and when she was still with Whole Foods, like we, you know, I, I brought her samples and I had a, a meeting with her and her team and they're just like, this is great. No one's doing this. You guys have to, you have to come in. So that's how we transitioned to Whole Foods. What I'm realizing about the opportunities that you've had thus far is that you've done a remarkable job of making a great first impression, but also maintaining those relationships over time. Um, as for your concept, Kimbap Lab, what was the driving force or 
initial inspiration for a gluten-free menu? So when I was in Seoul, I would get sick often with because of food. I remember the first six months that I was there, uh, I went to like a, an herbalist and he was like, he gave me a list of all the things to cut out. And, and, and this is common. This isn't just for me, but you know, oftentimes when you go see um, physicians or herbalists, they're just like, okay, the first thing on the list is flour. And flour is always on the list. And at least for me. And um, when, when I was forced to, to give up uh, gluten or flour, wheat flour, it changed. Uh, it changed my life. It changed the way I ate. It changed the way I cooked. Um, and that was actually like a personal, a personal story of how I connected that. And at that time, I, w- I had no idea um, that gluten sensitivity was a thing. This is when I was in Korea. Um, later, I connected the two and I was like, okay, I think a lot of Koreans and um, you know, Asians, they don't know they might be sensitive to gluten because you always take you know, different um, digestive pills. You know, Koreans are notorious of taking digestive pills after eating, especially at restaurants when there's like high sodium and, you know, like if you're eating a lot of processed foods and I'm like, you know, I wonder if you kind of take it, take a step back or take it easy with, with, uh, with gluten, maybe there might be, might make a huge difference. And that's what it did for me. And so that was like my personal story of why, um, you know, I really wanted to pursue a gluten-free Korean menu because uh, number one, I didn't think it could be done. Like it might be difficult and things might not taste the same, Uh, but we were able to, to make that happen. My partner and I, um, if it didn't taste good, we weren't going to do it. So, uh, but you know, we're, uh, we were able to, to introduce Kimbap Lab from day one with an entire like gluten-free menu. For those that don't know, uh, what is kimbap and how would you define it? Why did you decide specifically on showcasing kimbap? The other thing I wanted to talk about was the the sauces and pickles. Like what inspired you to offer those as well? Kimbap is is Korean comfort food. I think it's, you know, a lot of people's favorite childhood comfort food. Um, And it looks like sushi, but the main difference is that the rice is a sesame oil based and not vinegar. And also everything is cooked traditionally. Of course, there's a lot of variations and, you know, people do a lot of fun stuff now um, that might not look like the traditional kimbap, but kimbap was always my favorite food. Uh, it was always my, my partner, one year's favorite um, go-to food. And a few years before kimbap lab, we were working on a project in Seoul, uh, making sauces for, a company just more on um, the wholesale end. And as we were developing these sauces, we had no time to sit down at a restaurant and eat. And what we would do is we would just grab kimbap and um, like any kimbap or anything really you know quick to eat in the car. So we would eat as we drove around and we would just kind of do our R&D, um, you know, in and out in the car, in the kitchen. And one day 
we we got this kimbap and it was really bad. So I thought, how can you? I didn't know that there was bad kimbap in Korea. Like, like we were shocked. Both of us were like, this is so bland. Um, the quality is crap, and you know, but we didn't want to throw it away. We we're so hungry, and it was really late. And we just randomly decided to start eating it with our sauces that we made. At that time, we honestly had uh, no vision of bringing kimbap to the U.S. Like that was not part of our our goal. Um, when we looked at each other in the car, they were like, "No one is doing this." I'm like, no one is doing this, right? Like, I just want to confirm, no one is doing this in Korea. And he's like, no one is doing this in New York, right? And we're like, yeah, no one, I don't think anyone is doing exactly what we're thinking. Um, and that's how it started. And shortly after, we're just like, okay, let's, let's work towards that. The sauces and pickles that we are using today uh, just evolved organically. We didn't have like these amazing sauces and pickles all lined up from, you know, from... The concept when the concept started, but uh, you know, just over time, we're just like, okay, this makes sense. This is what, especially a lot of non-Koreans would appreciate these uh, flavor profiles. But also, we do have a lot of Korean customers that really appreciate the sauces. At first, I think um, you know when they came to Kimbap Lab, they were like, we don't need sauces. We just want kimchi and and they leave. You know, they're like, we don't, sometimes they don't even want kimchi. They're like, we don't need anything. I'm like, but it comes with it. It's free. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. And I would just kind of sneak it in there, sneak it in their, in their bag. And they got hooked. Some some customers would say they go to Korea for vacation or, or visit and they started asking people for sauces. And then they realized that actually we might be <laughs> kind of the only ones offering kimbap with sauces. So it was it was a little funny that they would do that. What was the initial uh, opening like? Um, I'm sure there was some sort of educational barrier in introducing an all-new food item that people didn't know about. So how did you introduce kimbap? So when we first opened, uh, one thing we had to do on a daily basis was to sample our, our kimbap. And, you know, that only helps like a lot of people, actually most of the people that walked through the market had no idea uh, what kimbap was. And a lot of them actually never had Korean food. So they have heard of Korean food, Korean barbecue, bulgogi, kimchi, you know, things like that. But they actually were never... um, Fully exposed to it. And I was a little surprised because I thought, oh, this is New York. Like, what do you mean? You don't know what gochujang is? Like, it's it's on everybody's shelf or something, you know. But it was a great way um, to start the conversation by sampling uh, our kimbap. And we, we created the menu to make sure that all of our items were nothing was nothing's too spicy. Nothing's too salty, nothing's too sweet. Like, it's very approachable. Uh, even ki- some kids eat our spicy pork. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's, it's surprising. Through sampling, we met customers that still come today. I remember this one French customer 
who was living in New York temporarily, never had Korean food in his life. And he tried our uh, tuna kimbap and he, he got it every day for like three, four months before he had, he moved back <laughs> to France. And, you know, we have another French um, grandma who tried one piece of yubu kimbap and she's been coming for three years. He brought her daughter and her daughter, they're all vegan and they, her daughter ate our kimbap throughout her pregnancy. And now her daughter eats our kimbap. That's three generations within three years that we've been providing um, our kimbap for. And it's so encouraging. Like we, you know, we've met, um, you know, a lot of amazing people through kimbap, but just, just the education. uh, I think we were just really excited to share with people that number one, it's, it's healthy and um, it's approachable and, um, and affordable. And so another, another thing is that uh, the whole food staff and the, the team members that work there, they, they eat lunch and dinner. They have to eat lunch and dinner somewhere. A good portion of our, our customers are the staff because they're just like, it was their first time. A lot of them, it was their first time trying Korean food. And they would, they would tell me stories like, oh, we went to K-Town and we tried to order this and it was so bad or it was like so different. I was like, well, you know, I don't know what restaurant they went to, but, you know, I'm just happy that they're happy with their food and um, it's very encouraging. But also when we opened, I was eight months pregnant and I was standing, <laughs> um, trying to roll kimbap. And I remember I would get rice stuck on the bottom of my apron, like below my belly. <laughs> and I wouldn't see that. And then after I roll and, you know, people would look at me and I walk around like, what's wrong? And I've like rice all over and it was, it was quite embarrassing. I think a lot of people thought I was a little crazy sampling kimbap uh, <laughs> at that time. But also I started a lot of, um, I met a lot of people and started great conversations with families and um, people with kids and started talking about how this is really um, good for your kids. Like if this is something that I could feed my son, you could bring this home. You know, a question I'd like to ask guests that I've had recently in the last few episodes was about obviously the pandemic and um, what was business like for you leading up to COVID-19 and how has that and the current times changed how you operate and approach your business? Uh, business was definitely a little tough. Uh, it's interesting because so because we're inside Whole Foods, there were a lot of people in the market. There were a lot of people trying to you know shop for items um, and just you know stock up, and so there would be long lines. And but at the same time, I think people customers were a little wary of just. Uh, restaurant food. And that started affecting us a little bit. Um, you know, people were still, you know, grabbing kimbap from our grab and go section, but, you know, not too many people coming up to our station and ordering. And, um, you know, it was, it was a little tough, but I knew that we needed to make a change. But before we made a change, you know, at that time, which is like, what's the change? You know, how do we change? And I don't know, like confused, worried, stressed out um, to say the least. But the first thing that I knew we had to do was to take a break. And 
we we took a month off and I think that was um, looking back that was the better decision uh, my staff they have families they have children and I just didn't feel comfortable having them on the line where it wasn't a closed space it wasn't like we had our own brick and mortar and we can just do the curbside pickup or you know the contactless uh, pickup or delivery it was so many people coming in all day just passing through our station, you know, and this is before uh, mouth coverings were required in the store. And it was just like so much direct contact and it made me nervous too and made my staff nervous. So we took a break. During that break, we just had to reassess and and see, okay, what uh, do we need to do differently if we have to do anything differently and how and, um, you know, what's what's important? How do we reprioritize, um, you know, just our whole business model? Fortunately, we, from day one, are, we don't have like a sitting area. So it's just, I guess, I don't know if that's fortunate, but it helps us where we're already like kind of a grab and go anyways, like out and pick up um, anyway. So we didn't really have to do a lot of um, logistical changes to our current uh, model. But I think one thing that we uh, offered and started to offer when we opened was to, you know, just to offer more um, family size or, you know, just like larger portions of, of items. We're still working towards adding more sauces and our marinades to our menu so that people can enjoy uh, uh, cooking at home with our sauces and and marinades. So there wasn't too much of a change, but we're definitely trying to expand our menu, um, maybe even break it down to sub-ingredients so that, you know, people could just really do more stuff at home. Thank you, Sarah, for your time. And honestly, uh, also for your recommendations. And so I wanted to also take this time quickly to thank Dan Ahn, a friend of the Welcome community who introduced me to Sarah. Kimbap Lab right now is open for takeout and delivery. Um, I had the opportunity actually to try a few kimbap rolls a few weeks back. It was a really sunny day, beautiful outside, so I ordered ahead, picked it up, and spent the afternoon at the park snacking. Uh, the sauces were honestly such a great, wonderful addition that I uh, hadn't expected. So great combination of flavors and, and just really honestly if you're in that neighborhood in brooklyn uh, i think it's it's great if you have access to a car the, the the best move is to get a few rolls and head over to maybe domino park uh when it's nice out another note i also want to take a few moments here to talk about the current state of dining if you're tuning in from new york city or anywhere else in the world that has reopened restaurants whether that's limited to outdoors or maybe uh, you're somewhere in Asia where, where dining is as normal at full occupancy. Uh, for me, I hope that we can all take a moment to really empathize with one another. Um, it's a stressful time for everybody, for people dining and for people working in these restaurants, for restaurant workers that have to wear PPE during their entire shift, for restaurant workers that right now don't have the luxury or privilege to afford to stay home or quote unquote work from home is just not a possibility you know there's a lot of talks of returning to normal but there is no return there's there's no normal you know this is the normal right now for many restaurant operators there's no clear direction or guidance on on anything really everyone's just trying their best to make this work and to provide the best experience possible 
given the circumstances and the limitations. If you're a listener of this podcast, I feel that I don't need to reiterate this. I think that you are already mindful and probably empathizing with people that are working behind the scenes because that's what this podcast is about, is highlighting those people. But I hope you can also uh, account and, and be accountable for your dining companions or friends that you go out with and just kind of educate them or help them empathize with what's going on. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you continue to support these small businesses and and independent businesses that really deserve um, our support.